and welcome to Metaverse Cast. In this episode, we are going to talk about play to earn, even though that term is maybe already kind of worn out. People are starting to call it play and earn. And as you will hear in this episode, maybe we are starting to go a little bit easier on the whole earn thing in blockchain-based gaming. I'm talking to Theo Priestley, who happens to be the CEO of a company that is what Unity and Unreal is for graphics, Metanomic is for tokenomics in games. And the funny thing is, earlier this year, I was having a talk on Discord about this whole tokenomic thing because everybody's trying to figure it out. And I thought if anybody can make this work, they could actually make an engine that anybody could use just like Unity and Unreal. And it turns out somebody was already building that. And that was Theo and his team at Metanomic. If you are in any kind interested in the core of play to earn, the whole earning model, and I'm gonna stick to calling it the earning model because we haven't found a better term yet, <laughs> but still, as you will hear in this podcast, it's kind of like, you know, maybe we should maybe think in a different way than this earning model, which is also an interesting development, but, you know, let's just keep it like that. But if you're interested in what is the core of this type of game, if you're considering building a game that has tokenomics, then this episode is definitely a must listen. Let's hear what Theo had to say. Hello, Theo. Hey, Jesper. Thank you very much for taking the time to talk to me today. I've been looking very much forward to the conversation. That's so have I. Great. Can you start out by telling uh, me and uh, and those who are listening a little bit about who who are you? Um, oh well, my name is uh, Theo Priestley. I've been in the technology industry for over twenty years now in various guises. Um, I've worked in the enterprise space and the uh, blockchain and Web three space. Um, I've done a lot of keynote speaking, written a book about future trends, um, spoken to a lot of startups. I've worked with startup accelerators, so. I'm kind of like a mixed bag. I don't really have a fixed career of any, you know, in any sense of the of the traditional terms. I just like to explore. Awesome. The reason uh, we got in touch was that I saw a post you did on LinkedIn that referred to Blizzard, uh, the gaming company, uh, their experience with the auction house in relation to Web3 and uh, this whole uh, play to earn, play and earn uh relation with the, with the new like type of games that are coming and and I was you know my attention was grabbed because one of the first things that I did back in the 90s was actually build a Danish website uh, for at, like a Diablo 2, uh, 2 auction house uh, and I think that was way before anybody has thought about uh, auction houses and mm-hmm. It turned out to be a, a great success until somebody, I think they deleted the files on the server and we didn't have any backup. 
<laughs> There's a, a harsh lesson in disaster recovery there. <laughs> Definitely. But it was funny, and you can still find it actually on the Wayback Machine. There's some old screenshots and stuff about it. So, 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 what was it that you wrote about in terms of you know the people could learn from? You know, you mentioned something about auction house in Web three that Blizzard tried that didn't really work out and things like that. Could you could you kind of wrap that up? Yeah, sure. So I mean, um, way back when uh, Diablo uh, Blizzard was trying to create a, a proper auction house system with Diablo that could allow players to buy and sell goods and services within the terms of service uh, for Blizzard itself. And, and what it did was actually, I think it proved, um, because it was a, a, a particular failure, it proved that ga video gamers just weren't really interested in the whole wealth extraction side of things. They wanted a game to play um, and they wanted to play it well and they wanted to be able to buy. And, and, and like you do with just, just now with modern games, buy skins, enjoy what you've got, uh, you know, and then basically keep it and then perhaps sell it on. But the whole point of this was actually to extract more value out of the player from an auction system. Um, uh, um, and, and, and for Blizzard's own, obviously, profitability and revenue. Um, and this kind of turned players off because it, it just exhibited the wrong play, uh, behaviors in player. It just triggered the wrong reasons to play the game in the first place. You know, they weren't really playing the game. They were playing the, the, the market system. Um, and that's not what the game was about, obviously. So, you know, obviously it fell on its arse and, and it failed. And these are some of the things that the parallels that we're seeing in Web3 as well with these play to earn games and tokenomics, which is, you know, people are building systems that are ultimately there for wealth extraction, but for the wrong reasons. They're not there to enhance the gameplay in any sense of the word. And this is not why we play games either. Play games to waste our own time, to, to basically have a bit of a good feeling good defeating a boss or whatever, uh, you know, a challenge out of it. You can play hardcore several hours a night or you can play casual. But at the end of the day, you're playing for fun and you're playing for your own intrinsic value. You're not playing for an externalized value or being incentivized to play to actually earn money out of the system. Um, and this is the, the these are the problems I see facing the play to earn or anything X to earn, anything to earn. Yeah. is becoming are all becoming the same kind of model which is you know i incentivize someone to do um, the most mundane activity like move to earn which is pedaling or, or walking along um but at the, at the end of the day you know you, it's not a sustainable model at all where you know where's the money coming from to sustain the fact that i have to continually pay you to do something mundane it just comes out of thin air and that's not how the world works either so, you know, um, so these, you know, so the idea of paying you to play a game because there's some kind of monetary system behind it um, just doesn't work. Um, and so that's why Diablo failed um, in that um, in that particular example. Um, but it's interesting, you know, uh, surfacing today. And I saw you comment on LinkedIn about the whole, you know, the Reddit thread where someone basically uh, cashed out World of Warcraft um, into on the Blizzard store itself for real money uh, for Blizzard, you know, for dollars to, to spend in, uh, in the Blizzard store um, and then go into D Diablo Immortal um, and, um, and level up their character beyond what people are paying, you know, uh, in real fiat currency. 
Um, and that's a really, really interesting example of something that didn't require cryptocurrency or blockchain to, to enable. It just required someone understanding the systems um, involved in between games. And that points to something rather, you know, rather exciting for me, I think. Yeah, I think you're right. When I saw your post, I was just like, hmm, yeah, that sounds a good, like, like good idea. You know, back in the world of Warcraft the days, I can remember when I, I think I stopped after maybe expansion two or three or something like that. Uh, but I was actually playing the auction house. You know, I was running back and forth from the bank and uh, like investing in stuff in the auction house and reselling it because you could get all these mods, you know, to, to create like interface. So I had like all these chart systems to look for stuff that was underpriced, <laughs> things like that. So I was actually playing the auction house a lot. Uh, for fun um, and the same goes actually way back when i was playing uh, ports of call you know the the shipping game you know mm. uh, i would always like end up uh, just playing the shipping market which is really funny because I, i'm not really an investor uh, at all <laughs> <laughs> but in in games uh, apparently uh, you know I, I saw the i saw the like the the what's the, the pattern and 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 like to play it uh, and that's but I think I think you're right in this creating an ecosystem where 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 you can actually bring some value from the time in one game over to mm-hmm. another game, but still because I saw the Diablo Immortal thing and and uh, and which is totally crazy. I th- I think they have like ten million installs. Uh, I've heard that that's the biggest uh, success in like franchise uh, history. And for those who haven't played it, it's it's a free-to-play thing, but it's full of all, everything you can possibly imagine of opportunities to pay for something. And people have said that it costs like $100,000 to pay your way all the way to the top, uh, which I think you also mentioned in, the, in a post. I can't remember if it was somebody else I had the discussion with. But I actually think that's a good thing because that means that the top is kind of like unreachable, which means you, you're going to continue playing the game and because in in world of warcraft you know you reach the cap you got this set the gear and then there wasn't much more to Mm. do and and here when when the top is that uh, unreachable you know you know just you can continue forever basically and i don't know why they do that did that but to me it looks like that was the reason yeah, I mean, uh, I've seen comparisons of Diablo Immortal with um, uh, casino games because I think some of the some of the systems behind that operate in the same way, which is nudge theory, just getting teasing people to pay a little bit more. And the thing is, is that you've got two very different market forces at work here. The Western market is very sort of anti; they're not anti uh, free to play. Um, they're just very sort of uh, averse to paying lots of money to to level up. Whereas you've got the the Asian and the Eastern markets, which that's their bread and butter. That's their most popular genre, which is you know I want to pay to win essentially, and I, and I've got the, the the capital and and the money to do it. Um, and it's interesting that I think someone did a, a comparison between uh, Diablo Immortal and Genshin, and Genshin Impact made sixty million in the first day um, of release. Um, on because obviously of of pay to win uh, mechanics and, and yeah. buying your buying your way up up levels, Diablo has only made twenty four million in two weeks. So you know there you know if Diablo Immortal was uh, was basically released solely in 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 Asia and, and China and Japan kind of sort of thing, I could probably see that being triple, you know, much in the same way as as Genshin made. 
uh, those kind of numbers. But because it's very Western market focused right now, um, and we're very sort of uh, averse to, to paying for, for to, to win, then the, the, the takings are actually quite low in comparison um, between those two, two games. So it's, um, it's interesting, you know, the number of installs doesn't really equate to the, the highest amount of um, revenue that I think Blizzard were potentially trying to predict, especially with so many, you know, casino-like or nudges in the background as part of their game economy. Yeah, I've seen somebody mention that they they are leaving money on the table in terms of how much they are actually squeezing, uh, you know, the progression. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think that's probably what what you mentioned that we in the West are, you know, it's a little bit frowned upon, you know, with if you and you, you see it in all the, you know, I've I've done a I played a bit of a Magic the Gathering as well, uh, and and they say the same, you know, this whole play to win it is. Definitely. Fun. I didn't know actually that it was uh, such accepted in Asia, because mm. I'm I'm very Western in that regard. You know, I think it's a little bit like okay, if you can just pay to win, you know, then it's over already. <laughs> and then, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, um, it, their RPGs are all very much. Um, they're all they're all based on the same thing. I mean, uh, some there are some studios that literally have a base model RPG. And then every single game that comes out is based on the same RPG. All that's different is names, the, whether it's a gold token or whether it's gems or something yeah. like that. But then the model behind it is pay to win, which is, you know, if you want to buy the best, you can play to get the best armor or you can just buy it and then beat all the bosses and things like that. Yeah. And there's obviously that kudos of being the first person to clear a dungeon, to beat a boss, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and that's that's where that comp- the competitive nature is between the players, not the players versus the environment. It's the players, you know, to get to the leaderboard first, to have that kudos. And to do that, you obviously have to pay lots of money. Yeah. Um, but it's a very different attitude. Yeah. But, you know, but it's interesting how you can look at the free-to-play market and then try to sort of understand, well, what behaviors and what mechanics would work in, a, in the Web3 environment and then, you know, are there incentivization models that we can learn from that rather than just looking at the, the token tokenization part first? Um, you know, let's build a game and then understand how we can incentivize players that way and whether it's paying money or whether it's rewarding them by money. Um, but, you know, you and I have played RPGs, you know, we played World of Warcraft, uh, EVE Online, um, all these other ones kind of sort of thing, and they all have very... Very different, uh, very similar systems, I should say, and and very eco- you know very economic focused, you know, player guilds, auction houses, marketplaces, you know, player driven economies, and those are the ones that are more fascinating and would probably fit the play to earn or uh, play and earn models, I think, rather yeah. than forcing it to to you know as part of something that looks like Candy Crush, yeah. You know, yeah. yeah, I've always imagined, you know, when I first heard of play to earn. Uh, which is like kind of like you know that that whole term has been kind of phased out right uh, it's almost like people agree on play and earn or mm. actually now it's more like uh, play to play and then maybe earn <laughs> <I don't know>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and that that whole movement has has been like within a like 12 months or maybe even less like six months or something like that uh, i don't know um but but I always imagine you know these dungeon crawlers like Diablo. There was a reason why I built this Diablo thing because I love dungeon crawlers. It's just so cool, just like hammer through a dungeon and throw spells all over the place and watch mm-hmm. things explode. 
and do that with your friends and then come back with, uh, you know, loot that you can actually sell for real money. Hmm. You know, what's not to like? It, that sounds like the most awesome thing on the planet. But but what do you think? Uh, why doesn't that work? And, and what do you think that's the problem? Um, again, I think it just incentivizes the wrong behavior um, because, you know, you're playing a game for fun, but then here you're actually playing it like it's a job. Um, and there's, you know, that in turn reduces the, I guess it reduces the collaborative nature of, of dungeon crawlers, for example, because then you have to, you really have to, to step up to the challenge. Otherwise, you know, you're impacting someone else's ability to earn, for example. And that's slightly different. I mean, it's slightly different because there's real money at stake. You know, the thing, the, the reason why something like EVE Online works so well is that it's not real money. Um, you know, it's a corporation and they have, you know, you have, you read about all these fantastic stories about EVE Online, which I think is great because it's all based around the player market and, and you know, espionage, assassinations, you know, manipulating the market, squeezing one market to force everybody to go to another region of space to basically operate in that market with, with, with much higher fees and yields, etc. Um, you couldn't necessarily make that work where there's real financial money involved because people would quit instantly once they start seeing that their own profits are dropping or they're, they're actually paying lots of money and not getting any intrinsic reward or satisfaction from it. I think, you know, that would kill a game instantly dead. And I know that, um, you know, for CCP and for Hilmar, for example, the, the head, you know, one of their ultimate goals was to basically allow people to make money from EVE you know, I should be able to make you know, play Eve and put food on the table from the money I make from Eve. But the players are very resistant to that because, again, it's financialization of something and there's real risk and reward involved. Um, you know, losing 200 billion isk is not the same as losing $20,000 when you lose a spaceship, for example. Um, you know, there's real world impact there. Um, you know, and as we've seen with the crypto markets, people just taking, you know, retail investors taking huge bets, remortgaging the house to tr take a bet on Bitcoin and then losing it all because the markets crash, you know, don't, you know, you shouldn't get, it's a gamble. Um, and again, that's, those are very different systems and very different behaviors and mechanisms. And there's, and right now there's no protection either for people. Um, you know, if yeah. I, if I, you know, if I lose $20,000 on a spaceship because it blew up and I was careless with it, what protection have I got? It was my own mistake. Yeah. Do I accept that or do I go through Reddit and, and complain and say, I want my money back? And it's like, well, you knew the risks when you were playing this. So, yeah, um, I, uh, I'm a little bit uh, involved in a star Atlas. Uh, you know, I have a few of their ships mm -hmm. um, and follow that, that development. And I uh, did an episode with a guy who was very much involved in the guilds in star Atlas. And we were talking about this exact concept. What happens you know, when, when you are, you know, you are guilt of pirates in space and you mm -hmm. actually pirate somebody's uh, real ship that cost real $2 million. Mm -hmm. You know, how is that not going to bleed into reality? Because you find out who that player is in real life and uh, somebody comes knocking at the, the parent's door and because the, the, <laughs> the, the kid, 30-year-old kid, was part of a gang of pirates who stole a real, like, $2 million spaceship. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, well, we've seen people, you know, we've seen it happen in Call of Duty or things like that. People phoning the police and, you know, they come around and stuff like that. Nothing to say that that won't happen for, for Star Atlas and, and Star yeah. Citizen. Although Star Citizen is a little bit more accepted. But again, because there's no, you know, it, it, it feels more fun because you're playing a game, even though you've invested. Whereas, um, you know, you're buying a spaceship, you're not making money out of it. Um, so that the, the, the economics are slightly different. But for Star Atlas, obviously, like you say, you know, that do do you start mirroring the real world where people are offering insurance for mm. your spaceships and things like that? And then and then it's a question of well, actually, what is this a game or am I just playing game of life in space? Exactly. And, and what what enjoyment is it? You know, I've got tax, I've got insurance, I've got fuel, I've got this, that, the next thing, blah blah blah. In the end, it's just like, well, hang on a minute, I'm I'm sitting at my computer screen for five hours a night playing what I do in the real world which is a job and having to manage another life do i really want that in that much detail or do i just want to sit back and have fun yeah but i'm saying maybe somebody do uh, in in my own i'm, I'm a soccer for skins you mm. know things have to look good and i know the game mechanics are super basic and you know but if, if the story is great and the graphics are good you know i'm a soccer for that so basically what i'm thinking in that in that point of view, it's like okay, I'm I'm doing exactly what I'm doing, but I'm doing it in space. What's not to like, <laughs> <laughs> you know? So maybe, but but so, so I totally agree with you on the. But, but is it even possible then? You know what is possible? And maybe because I I, I know I posted a while back that the, that I in the beginning of the year that I kind of made this bold uh, saying the uh, statement that. If somebody could uh, re figure out the tokenomics uh, in a game, they could create an engine just like uh, Unreal and Unity. Mm -hmm. And, and for my understanding, that that's kind of like what you've done at Metanomics. Uh, or what's the, what's the what's the deal? Yeah, so Metanomic, we we started out originally as a play to earn game studio, and we were building a game very much a bit like Eve Online. It was very economically and player player economic driven. Um, and it was being driven by, you know, player economy, market forces, etc. And that's and that kind of made sense to us from a play-to-earn model perspective. Um, and we were trying to do it without a token tokenomics as well. So trying to remove as much token friction as possible. During that process, we discovered that the majority of the games industry runs on Excel spreadsheets when it comes to designing the game itself. You know, the game economy, leveling up, character progression you know, items, how they power up, et cetera, et cetera. All those intricacies and how you basically enjoy your game starts off on spreadsheets, lots and lots of spreadsheets and lots and lots of macro, VV macros and code. Um, and I thought this was, and, and even some of the most popular play to earn games, some of the biggest titles as well runs on spreadsheet. You know, they, they design it by spreadsheet and then they code it into the engine and, and then, you know, try and simulate it and then have to patch it over and over again. And I just thought, you know, this is the 21st century. We should not be using Excel. You know, there must be better ways of doing this. And so we started, uh, we embarked on, on, a, on a bit of a discovery mission, which was let's try and build systems based on real world economics and game design um, and a mixture of those um, to come up with sets of algorithms that help balance uh, game economies and game mechanics. Um, and give developers a front end to essentially replace Excel and just give them something more intuitive and natural to work with. And 
and from that point on, it was a case of, well, actually, we're, we're building a system here that could actually help the entire industry rather than just our game. So what we did was we actually mothballed the game and just went all in on actually building this cloud platform instead. And so that's what, we, well, that's what we've done. Essentially, we've, we've created like the Unreal Engine, but for economies. We're not really interested in the graphics or anything of physics. We, we're more interested in helping developers build, test, and actually run in real time um uh, uh game economies and game mechanics and core gameplay loops um and you know no need to patch the game because if you run via our api on the cloud um then essentially it's being managed and handled in real time uh we've got a set of proprietary algorithms that look to help balance this uh we have a separate ai platform as well which we recently acquired which helps understand player behavior and player traits so you can actually as a developer understand what players are doing daily or minute by minute in the games categorize them and then obviously understand how to either offer give them offers or or even understand how to rebalance the economy because lots of players are doing particularly one thing which you didn't account for so how do we you know how do we balance that back into the game so that's what we that's that's where metanomic kind of sort of came from um and again we we're you know we've got about 120 people all signed up for the for the beta, that's a mixture of uh, indie developers all the way up to triple A's. Um, and we cross web two and web three. So traditional game studios and those that are building web three and token based games. So it's been it's been a real interesting journey over the nine, last nine months um, for us. Um, it's really exciting. Um, I see there's still a lot of work to do in this space, um, but you know, my ultimate aim is to, is to basically stop stop developers using excel um i just find it i find it bizarre that people are forced to use such a, a, a antiquated tool when you look at it like that way yeah i can see specifically in the use case you just mentioned you know where, where you have some kind of thesis uh, you know you you build a setup and then you test it and then all you know life happens and all players start to do one thing because you know water out runs downhill and <laughs> and and uh, and and then you need a system to, to kind of you know being able to uh, pull things back on the track before things uh, kind of break and uh, people lose interest uh, because I, I guess that's usually what happens you know once people find like a loophole you know everybody starts losing you using it and then uh, you know it's just it dwindles away over time well, yeah, I mean, we've seen, you know, umpteen times over and over again, especially for online games, when you find a loophole or an exploit, everybody runs to, to, to reap the benefits of it. And of course, um, and then there's a huge outcry because uh, the, the, the developer has to quickly patch it, uh, nerf whatever item it is or that exploit, um, you know, and, um, you know, and, and then you get complaints from everybody say, oh, well, that, that, that weapon was too overpowered anyway. Why didn't you understand this? You know, and so, and again, that's born from the fact that they've had to do all the calculations and pseudo simulations in Excel rather than running real-time experiments and things using actual live data from the from the players themselves. So, you know, again, it's trying to just bring in modern systems into a, a, a kind of traditional way. I mean, there are some studios, some of the large studios, um, where I've I've you know I've come across developers still or game designers still using pen and paper. To design the systems and it's like you know you you guys build some of the biggest games in the world and you're still writing things down well you know what happens if you lose that that pad you know <laughs> does, does that mean does that mean the whole game design document disappears because you've written it down instead of you know using modern systems so 
um, you know, for a technically advanced industry, there are still some very sort of old style uh, ways of working. And so we're trying to kind of push them in the right direction. Yeah, I can I can totally relate to that. You know, I've been done stuff in 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 Photoshop for like God knows how many years, and I'm pretty sure that I do it the same old way that I have for the past <laughs> 20 years. You know, so that's probably what's at play. Uh, okay, that sounds. I think that sounds super awesome. So I'm curious in terms of if you look at you know if you're a Web three developer, you want to you know uh, you know this play to earn. You know, you and I seems like okay. We agree that it's it's kind of like it it's not existing. You know, it doesn't happen because you need something else. Because if you know nobody's gonna buy your burn uh, mechanics or your skins or whatever if they want to feed uh, their kids. You know, that that seems to be something that, that everybody has experienced by now. Uh, so so if you are still hoping, you know, what would your advice be to to people who are building like these Web three play and earn games? Yeah, think about the game first. I think what we've seen over the last 12 months is that people thought about the money, the monetization, the token side first, and you picked up the wrong venture capitalists who were only interested in the token, nothing about what you were building. Um, you know, that uh, obviously your team were only ever focused on pumping the token um, and not, not designing a game that was actually fun. And I think if you just turn it on its head and build from the player perspective and say, you know, what does a player want to do on a day-to-day -day basis? You know, how am I going to reward their time? And that is through gameplay first. And I think once you build the game, then you understand, then you look at things that have existed before, creator economies, how EVE Online works, how Second Life has worked, Diablo, you know, on the auction, how the work, you know, that, that this recent example this week, literally in the last week, you know, from moving from well, World of Warcraft into into you know a centralized system yes we talk about decentralization but at the same time there there is no such thing as decentralization at the moment you know everything is built on centralized systems um but you know you you look at uh, a centralized auction house and then you're able to move that digital currency into another currency to basically enjoy uh, another game and th those are fundamentals that i think we should be looking at first before we start thinking about you know uh, how do we uh, externalize that on a marketplace uh, on a on a uh, digital currency exchange for example how do i get my token listed and all this kind of sort of things forget about that first build the systems and the game first and then understand how what a player would like to do with that with those systems with those assets with the currency that you've built in the game and then build out from there so bottom up rather than top down yeah I've been thinking about another uh, because uh, I think this whole we, we, we move to earn that you mentioned earlier. It's like mm -hmm. I think you referred to stepping right, uh, something yeah. like that. Yeah, uh, and that they also you know that's all this like Ponzi scheme model, but but I was thinking there's another model. Maybe if if we are talking about like having positive impact on the world, mm -hmm. you know, you could actually burn because you need cash to burn to to reward these players. And if we agree that, okay, the, it's not sustainable if the cash comes from the constant flow of new players all the time, but then you could use like impact cash, you know, so that it's, you know, people who want to, uh, uh, you know, improve their image and stuff like that, say, hey, we are supporting 
uh, these uh, kind of apps, you know, people are walking. So some company donates a million to step and to burn on their, their, their platform to give people, you know, make them move more or sponsorship from like a shoe brand mm. or whatever. What do, you, what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's good old fashioned, like, like you say, sponsorship models or anything else like that. It's nothing fancy or anything to do with tokenomics side of things. In fact, it's in, in a Web3 perspective, it's almost called staking. You know, Gucci, for example, has staked money in Super Rare's new DAO, uh, you know, and that's them basically saying, we want to support what, what Super Rare are doing. We want to get involved in NFTs and we want voting rights. Um, and, 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 you know, and it would be interesting to see how many DAOs are created where it actually, that allows the inflow of money, um, but also the, the stake for those people who are investing in that to actually say, you know, to have a voting right in terms of what we do with that money. And that's quite an interesting model because then that just shows that there is actually an influx of money, real money, whether it's digital or fiat, you know, there is actually a starting point and a pool of, of, of resources and capital that's coming in rather than something that is just generated out of thin air, um, which is what most tokens are, you know, tokens are. Um, and you don't have that, those voting mechanisms in place with some of these, unless someone creates a DAO or specifically on purpose for this. So I think um, there's, yeah, there's some interesting things I think coming that will come out of this bear market actually over the next four years. Um, a lot of the broken systems will fall away and then we'll see some, some the, you know, a rise of perhaps new uh, L1s and L0 chains um, and, and foundations coming out of this with different consensus mechanisms, uh, which might, um, you know, promote different types of behaviors as well. Yeah. Cool. I, I think I feel like I have a, a thousand uh, questions in all my, in many directions because this is a very, very interesting uh, topic. You know, diving in a little bit, I'm curious about uh, Metanomic. You know, as a game developer, you know, what's the more like some can you talk about some practical cases? You know, you know, a, a developer, something that you're obviously allowed to mention. But something, you know, they had this problem and then we, we did that and uh, they did it like this and stuff like that. Something like very hands-on. Um, well, we're still beta just now. So um, we actually have a closed beta. So I can't really talk about any specific examples okay. um, um, at this point in time. I mean, uh, anyone who wants to actually test the platform, uh, the closed beta opens in September um, for anyone who has signed up. So we're giving access um, to some limited functionality to basically get feedback. Uh, the full uh, the full basically the full product will be developed uh, is going to be released uh, Q1 next year um, as planned um, and that's the full online runtime tool with the analytics platform etc so we're in a kind of sort of beta test phase so I can't really talk about much um, but it is you know if you think about for example crafting trees you know what is your crafting tree with the items that you have and how are how how are players supposed to create new items based on the number of inputs from particular items and things like that, your resources and things, you know, traditionally what you would do is basically list out all your inventory on a spreadsheet. Uh, you would have all the calculations and the attributes in terms of, you know, how many iron ores resources exist in this world and what's the distribution of that across this world that I'm creating, you know, how easy is, how easy is it for a, a player to mine for these resources what is the combination I need to create something brand new, et cetera, you know, and that's all done by spreadsheet and you have to manually code all the, um, 
uh, all the algorithms in the background to, to, to calculate what's going on in that. And then obviously you take all of that once you're happy with it um, and then hard code it in whatever engine you're using. Um, for us, what we're doing is completely removing the, the spreadsheet angle and basically allowing you to do all of that on a, on a live cloud platform. Um, and then all you're doing is hooking that via API into your game engine and we run everything uh, on that for you. So, and that allows you to tweak variables in real time as well. So if you're not happy with something, the game, the, the game engine, well, our engine, I should say, will show you where there's some in potential imbalances you know, depending on how many players are trying to mine for a particular resource or where a crafting item sort of falls down because there's not enough of a resource, spawn rates, for example, all those kind of sort of things. Um, and, and it'll either be, you know, a metadata-driven uh, interface or you could use a visual interface that allows you to conceptualize what's happening um, in front of you and you can tweak some of those variables that way. So that's, you know, that's essentially what we're trying to build for, for to developers. Yeah, sounds awesome. I was thinking, can you can you run uh, like simulations? Yeah. So okay, are you using our AI to to predict or to emulate the player behavior, or how, how do you do? How how's that how's that work? So uh, uh, we're using um, Bayesian uh, inference networks um, and also machine learning. We've also got a set of proprietary economic based algorithms as well. So we used real world economists to have a look at how you know, resources and behaviors and spawn rates and things would actually happen. Not, not necessarily, you know, and then shore that up with actual game design resources to basically look at those and then think, right, okay, from a game design perspective, this is what we need to add on to this. So you can from, you know, um, either existing data uh, and live data simulate and then tweak and then simulate the impact of those tweaks um, using you know current data or you could basically simulate that using basically um, you know fudged data or um, because you, you haven't built your game yet so we're trying you know so we're helping you try to understand what would happen in these scenarios but yes you can simulate and then run it in real time to, to me that sounds like a game I would play just now. <laughs> Yeah, in a sense, yeah, you could be literally, yeah. I mean, if you like playing, yeah, if you like playing with spreadsheets, you'll love this. Yeah, and that's the weird thing because, you know, I know spreadsheets, but I'm not really super happy about playing with spreadsheets. But that whole thing about figuring out, you know, the whole, like, uh, the connection with things and how things will react and then just press, press play and, and see what happens, you know, have I made my assumptions correctly and, uh, mm. and, then, and then kind of watch the machine run. Uh, you know, that sounds like a game to me. <laughs> Do you know, I'm just like, now that you mentioned it, it'd be really funny if someone actually used that to model what would happen in a market economy in, in something like um, Jita on uh, on EVE Online. You know, um, basically, you know, the flow of, you know, the flow of inflow of, uh, of resources versus money versus what people are doing, buying up capital, etc. Yeah. It would be quite funny if someone went to that level of detail. Okay, cool. Uh, I have uh, this has been super interesting. I think uh, I could go on forever, but uh, but uh, I have one question that I always ask people, and that is, what is the thing that you personally are looking most forward to in this whole digital future? If it's metaverse or Web three or NFTs or crypto or whatever. Oh, that is a good question. Actually, I I think. I think for me, I 
the thing that I'm most excited about just now is probably the accept. It's really mundane, but the accessibility angle, the ability to be able to access this from anything, you know, whether it's a mobile phone, whether it's a desktop, whether it's be wearing a pair of headphones or uh, a head headset or whatever. I think that's the 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 real exciting part, and then being able to jump in and out of any world as I see fit. Um, a lot of people are building systems where it's like I have to walk to a, a, a virtual shop in a virtual mall across a virtual world, and it's like, well, no, why can't I just transport it? Why can't I fly? Why can't I grow a, sp- a pair of wings and fly, for example, or, or jump on a spaceship and fly there, or something like that? People are still very still thinking about conventional means of doing stuff, and 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 they're replicating, you know, exact systems that happen in the real world for a virtual world that's supposed to be limitless. And I think once we get past that, I want to get people, I want people to think past replicating existing structures and systems. Um, and once we get past that, then we'll understand what the metaverse can really do, what virtual worlds can really do for us. Um, and it is limitless potential, but we're limited by imagination right now. Yeah. That's one thing that I've, I've also like kind of, dropped on me for the past years is that no matter what you do, you always, you know, you, you, you look into the future from your current point of view and with the information you already have, it's like, if you look at the, like uh, many tech gadgets, you know, they, they come from what people have imagined in like movies, you know, like mm. Star Trek and Star Wars and stuff like that. Yeah. You know, uh, that's a whole other conversation, but still it's just like, and I think there's only one way and that is just begin built okay if we have to start walking across the parking lot to get to the mall in virtual reality okay that's where we start (laughs) but then later on somebody will you know come flying out with wings and that will lead to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing yeah keep building exactly and i actually think you know back to web3 is that you know this bear market you know i've been thinking the past couple of days this is actually pretty cool because it calms things down a bit so you can just Mm. focus on building yeah yeah, we've seen a lot of hyper positivity and it's almost cult-like status in terms of, yeah, we're going to make it, you know, wag me and all this kind of sort of thing. And people who do understand it's all their fault. And now I've actually noticed that there's a lot of a lot less noise and people are just thinking, you know, I'm just going to keep my head down. I'm just going to build, like you say, you know, and then we'll emerge from this in a, you know, in a couple of years time with something, with a product that people are actually looking for, not something just because I got funding for it. So. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you very much, uh, Theo. This has been uh, super interesting. Uh, what? Uh, another thing, is it okay for people if they contact you on LinkedIn? Are you okay with that? Oh, yeah, yeah I'm fine. LinkedIn, Twitter, whatever. I'm cool. All right, cool. Yeah, uh, you know, we're going to drop, you know, all your links, whatever you want to share in the show notes so people can find the link to uh, your socials and to metanomic and uh, and things like that i'm looking forward to to follow uh, metanomics and uh, and i'm waiting for that message when you when you say that uh, okay i got the game ready yes but you can play it now <laughs> you could be one of our best beta testers <laughs> uh, i'll be happy to <laughs> great thank you very much steve no thank you for having me jesper So that's it. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. As you could probably hear, I was very interested in what it is Metanomic are doing and 
you know, for me that sounds like something. As as a like, I used to play uh, Civilization, and uh, and you know, I like these like building uh, strategy games. I like tycoon type of games, uh, you know, transport tycoon, and even the uh, probably the strangest one I've been caught up in, up in was uh, what's it called, fish tank tycoon, where you are running a fish shop. <laughs> So I would, you know, I would definitely put a cool skin on the top of uh, the core of what Metonomic is doing, and I would play that as a game. Definitely interesting development. I'm going to keep a close eye on what Metonomic is doing, and I'm looking forward to once they come out and can say a little bit more, and we see the first games that has been built on uh, Metonomic's engine. Super interesting. This is, for me, one of the examples of, first of all, basically how quick things are moving. You know, people are thinking. <laughs> and I like that, you know, the Web3 space are attracting problem solvers. You know, we start, as you could hear Theo's story, they started building a game and then they, you know, looked at the whole this tokenomic part of it and, and started researching and then, you know, they mothballed the actual game and started building this tokenomics engine. Uh, that process, I just think, is super awesome because if you want to do something, you have to just start and then acknowledge that you will you will very likely, actually, to be completely honest, learn something on the way that will mean that you will change direction. And I've I've done that in pretty much all the startups I've been involved with and. To me, I like that, you know, that's the way to go. And uh, I think that's amazing. Thank you very much for listening and I'll see you in the next one.